We need to be telling people what we're doing and we need to start to generate revenue on the new platform. You know, our investors are looking at that. Our, you know, other investors potentially that we want to bring in are looking at that and we need to show that progress and very much that balance. How are you helping your team to deliver on that? And how are you helping customers, prospective customers, regulators, you know, the NHS central bodies, as well as our investors and prospective investors? Hi, I'm Belden Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Maddie Phipps-Taylor, CEO of Eva Health Technologies. Maddie describes the challenges they face as an innovator and disruptor in the medical records space. She shares how she navigates the potential tensions between her personal purpose, the organization's purpose, and the expectations of their various stakeholders. She also discusses the practical impact for their customers and themselves of moving their technology to the cloud. Join me for this informative, engaging, and uplifting episode. Well, Maddie, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Um, You're the Chief Executive Officer of Ava Health Technologies. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and also about Ava Health Technologies? Sure. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. Well, I'm, uh, as you say, the, the CEO of Ava Health Technologies. Prior to that, I spent about a decade working across the healthcare sector, originally as a consultant, and then I went into government, including advising the Prime Minister David Cameron on health and social care policy, working for the regulator at the CQC, and working in academia as well in the US, researching accountable care organisations. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could, if you don't mind, dive straight in. We might go back and cover a little bit more about what the business actually does in a minute. But what is the purpose of the organisation and what's your personal purpose and how did those two come together? Well, the purpose of the organisation, as I was brought in, the organisation is actually 35 years old. There was a rebrand following an acquisition and a change of ownership. The new owners brought me in. And very much they recruited me specifically to align to the purpose that they had for the business and that that aligned to my personal purpose as well. Essentially, that is to have an impact through technology on people's health and particularly to focus on the ability to use technology by clinicians and administrators in healthcare for them to impact their patients' health. So this is not a B2C project. We're not directly working with patients in the sense that we have a communication with that patient directly. Mm-hmm. We work for um, and support clinicians and the administrators who are supporting the clinicians to help them deliver better care. So it's really focused at that system level. And for me, that aligns to my purpose because it's all about trying to amplify impact. Healthcare is a very people business. It needs to be. But to be able to support those highly educated, highly intelligent, highly motivated, highly socially driven people to do even better. And that really is, I feel, sort of my own personal social purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I've got the timing right, you must have come into this business either just as COVID was sort of starting or just after. What difference did that make? How did that play out? I think, yes, I did. So the, the business changed ownership on uh, April 2020, and I came in in June 2020. So very much those early stages, those heady moments of sort of initial unknown 
with regard to the pandemic. And it was also a business that was very sort of physically located. Everyone came to the office every day and they were very much in an office shared experience together. They'd not really had a work from home culture at all. And then they'd completely flipped to have a full remote. And now we're actually a fully remote company as well. We have um, no physical offices. We have um, teams that are based in Scotland, Wales, Cornwall, which was where the business was originally based, Cambridge, Manchester, London. We are across the whole of the British Isles. We're not in Northern Ireland, but we we will hopefully be there soon. And that's also a complete change of culture for the business at the same time as obviously dealing with the specific and and, um, critical issues regarding maintaining a business through the pandemic, particularly in those early days. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe just going back a little bit, it might be helpful for me and and others to sort of get a grip on what does this system actually do? I gather it's GP oriented, but maybe I'm wrong there. Yeah, so medical records. Everyone who has engaged ever with the NHS has a medical record. Mm -hmm. Almost all of us have a GP record, a primary care record. If you've been to a GP at all, they will have a record on you. Even if you haven't been to see one in a while, it's still there. Every healthcare organisation you've ever engaged with will have a medical record. And part of that is to understand, you know, from the patient's perspective, what were the tests, what were the diagnoses, what were the treatments, and and to really understand that from the patient perspective. But from the healthcare provider's perspective, there's a number of reasons they need those records. They need to know what did their staff do on their behalf? Was it safe? Can we analyse if anything went wrong? Should we have picked up something different? Also, can we improve? Can we use that data to train and get better at how we spot cancer or helping people with mental health concerns? Also, when it goes wrong, rely on those records to understand you know, in a legal situation what happened. So there's many levels at which you're trying to keep these records. And they're really very important. But if you also think abstract it, they are the data on which you're making decisions. And if we can give you better data, more timely and present it in a better way, can we help you make better decisions? Mm. And obviously that's human decisions. But in the future, and we're already seeing this now, AI decisions. You know, AI decisions, and it's a very complicated space about software as a medical device, but the, the data is fundamental. If the data isn't solid, then the answers aren't solid. And that's really, I think, a, an important question for us in the next sort of five to 10 years is how do we get that data better? You know, what does the business do in the middle of that? Because it sounds like a very complex environment. It's a complex environment, but conceptually a simple thing is that we help you to understand who is the patient. So you've got a patient record and a patient list. What record do you need to keep of them? You know, what are the tests? What are the diagnoses? What is the treatment or intervention? And help you to take that, record it in software so you can bring it back, you can process it, you can get paid for it if it's the NHS and you're being billed. And increasingly, we'd like to elevate that further to productivity. So how can I do it faster, better, and ultimately the NHS cheaper as well? But that's really what the software is doing. So when you go to see a GP or a doctor, they will be sitting in front of a a software screen and they'll be typing. We are one of those software that that we want people to type into. And we're on that journey to, to do even more in different care settings. Okay. I think that helps me get a handle on it. Um, if I've got it right, then you've got competitors. There are other people who do what you do. This may sound like a slightly odd question, but you know, around your purpose, what's your relationship with your competitors? Uh, well, we're very much the underdog. And I think there's definitely a trend in the market that we're consistent with that trend. We're a small company. We're 25 people. And you know, we've taken on a big mission. 
this is a big mission. There are others in the space, and some are British companies, some are American companies that have been on this mission a long time too, and that share some or all of those values. You know, obviously as a startup or a restartup, we can call ourselves, um, we feel we are meeting a need that the market has something that's not being serviced, that we can offer something unique. And that we can push forward in a market which perhaps does need to be disrupted from a technology perspective. It's a very risk averse industry. But like other industries, for example, banking, there is a sort of a wave where new technology can help reimagine and push forward the boundaries of what the existing sort of legacy systems can do. So that's why we feel we've got something to offer. You talked about it as a restartup. Yeah, during a pandemic. And moving from office based to virtual and, you know, all the rest of it. How did you restart up a business? What did that look like? So it's a family run business. It was acquired by a business called Public Group International. And they very much have a clear purpose to improve the quality of government technology called GovTech. And within that, obviously, they think healthcare is a domain within government. When I came into the business, I was very much recruited to take that purpose and to then uh, shape the business in that way. That meant a number of things. The first six months were a really fascinating roller coaster ride, as I'm sure anyone who takes on a new challenge will find. So, in the first three months, we did a very thorough review while keeping the lights on and keeping everyone going. What are we doing? What's the shape of the business? That actually resulted in us selling off a bit of the business because it wasn't aligned to our purpose. Rebranding the business, you know, all the color schemes, the name of the company, the, the logo, everything, and bringing the company along on that journey. In fact, actually, we asked people to contribute their ideas. And, and what we ended up with was something that was actually an idea generated by the staff. We also reshaped our values and we articulated more clearly than we had articulated before what we do and then by definition what we don't do. And I think that was a really important step for us as a business to start to say, look, we have got to focus. We can't do all the things we used to do. Now more than ever, we need to focus. And what really are we focusing on? And let's be really clear about that. So the first six months was um, a lot of change, a lot of decision making. And actually, in some ways, having a new management team and me coming in and building a new management team uh, and having to make those decisions quickly because of the environment we're in actually helped to spur us forward and, and to do it more effectively, I think, than if we'd spent you know longer doing it, 12 months doing it, and not having those sort of outside pressures on us as, at the same time. A couple of things I've taken from that, and I just want to play back and see if I've got it right. One is that even though there was a sort of broad purpose driving the acquisition of this business and then bringing you in to lead it, that to some extent you were sort of questioning, okay, that's great, but what does that really mean? And I might describe that as developing a strategy then. We're going to do this, we're not going to do that, you know, a whole bunch of different things. Um, and it sounds like you did that fairly quickly. Yeah. And I get a sense that there's a number of different players in that. You've sort of got the owners, you've got you, of course, you've got a management team that you're kind of building and then you've got the bulk of the employees and everything else. And then somewhere out there, I guess there's customers and all. Who got involved and how did all that work? Yeah, so um, everyone in different levels. Obviously, you, we had a hypothesis, be open to changing it. But essentially, it was to amplify our impact in healthcare through technology. And that really resonated at every level of those audiences. And particularly, you know, we were doing focus groups internally 
the management team were on this mission with me and, and could see why, you know, articulating that purpose helped to galvanize what we were doing and help to streamline the business. And the fact that we were acting on it almost immediately, I think, gave a lot of people energy and encouraged people to say, you know, we can make changes quickly and we can get this done to align to our mission rather than sort of be in a stasis and, and wait for the end of the pandemic or or something else to happen. So I think that helped immediately with the management team. Subsequent to that, our focus groups, engagement with the staff. Um, obviously, there was a bit of um, maybe hesitation. You know, we've got a new boss. What's she like? What does she want us to do? You know, so we had a number of focus groups with and without me so that they could see that I was leading this. But also if they didn't want to say it in front of me, they had another forum to do that. I was doing open offices as well. So people could come and talk to me at any time. You know, virtual office. Obviously, we're still in lockdown at this point. And then actually out to customers. So we had a number of very loyal customers who'd been with us many years, actually got out on site, even, you know, COVID masks and everything to go and ask them, what do they like about the software? You know, what is the value to them? And a lot of that, interestingly, was the support that the team was giving them, not just the software, but the services wrapper around it. Um, and how important that customer service aspect is. You, know, you can see this in lots of industries, but particularly in health, where if something's gone wrong, you want to know someone's going to fix it quickly. That was really helpful for me to understand directly from our customers, what do they most value and what do we need to make sure we cherish as part of the organization going forward rather than maybe lose along the way. Mm -hmm. And along that journey, did you do it all internally or did you bring in some external support consultants, comms agencies, whatever. We had some external support on different functions of the business, but as a small company, you know, we didn't really have the, the luxury. However, we did have someone who was with us at the time who was internal to us, but had that experience of doing transformation projects with much larger companies. And we sort of uh, were able to borrow those ideas and to sort of shape them for what the size of our business was. But no, we didn't have any sort of external help. And maybe that would have been a, a good thing, um, but also maybe that would have slowed us down. I'm not sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like it was very good use of the resources you happen to have. I'll just say that people's ability to do that, I think, is sometimes underrated. The ability to say, what do we have that we can do this ourselves? Yeah, in a small business, you're wearing many hats and you have to do different things throughout the day over different months or quarters. And you think, actually, what I need to be right now for this organization might be something I need to be a bit different in three months time. And actually that reinventing, I think, is something that is very valued and, and is underrated at the small business level, which is actually a great skill set to have. And is one of the reasons in attracting talent, how do you attract talent to a purposeful small business, actually being able to offer people range. And during that time, you know, particularly when there's a significant amount of change, the level of exposure and experience you can offer people is so much greater than you can in a corporate world, potentially, mostly from what I have seen. And that, that is really attractive to the right sort of person. And, and if you don't mind, maybe you can just take us quickly through some of the numbers. So when you showed up, how big was the organization? It sounds like you made some fairly significant changes. You know, what did all that look like? In terms of numbers, I mean, the staff numbers, when I took over was 55 people, all based in Cornwall and Plymouth. So down in the southwest. We're now at 25 and we're across the whole country. So this is not a story maybe of you know, a hockey stick trajectory of going up and up and up. But we've made some tough choices. We sold a bit of the business um, that wasn't core 
to our purpose. The customer base was wider. It wasn't in health. It was any uh, local businesses within Cornwall. It wasn't software. It was services. Uh, and it wasn't about using our IP within the software to deliver value. It was about supporting local businesses. So that's an awesome business, but it wasn't our business that we wanted to continue with. And hence, we sold that to another company locally who do want to do it. And I think that transaction actually helped to reaffirm to our team at all levels that we're serious about our purpose and we act on it and we do it with integrity to get to the point where we are able to focus. So then obviously post uh, that initial sort of six to 12 month change period, we're building a new tech platform. We've gone through a very significant technology journey as a software business to upgrade and improve the quality of our, of our platform, which again aligns to our mission. Um, and with that, we've had a number of different skill sets that we didn't have. We didn't need it before, but we do need now. And that we've been hiring to a slightly different model of skill set that we need going forward. So that's also been a journey and attracting new staff to a company that has not a simple history, I think, has also been a learning for me. Yeah, it sounds like sort of in terms of growth and revenue, you sort of said it's not a hockey stick. At least for a period of time, you want to get the technology, the product to where you want it to be. And then I'm gathering, then you're going to want to grow. Is that? Yeah. So our first product on the new tech stack was a COVID and flu software. So when you got your COVID jab, I hope you did, but if when you got your COVID jab, they would have recorded it into software. That software then allowed it to be processed nationally. Our national statistics were run off of that data. And also it got back onto your medical record in your GP surgery. So when you went to the GP and they said, oh, I can see you've had your jab. We were one of the three software providers that were offering that in the community sector. And we went from zero code to assured and in use of the NHS within six months. That's pretty good going for a new software product. And then from a one pilot customer who were awesome to assured and scaled up and we reached 82 primary care networks. That's probably about 200 GP practices using our software, but they're collected into networks. So 82 primary care networks were using our software. And they made that switch during a pandemic when they were really super busy to change their software platform, which isn't standard behavior for you to change platforms that often. So what we were offering was needed. It was responsive to a particular need in the market at the time, which was the COVID vaccination program. It aligned with our purpose, which is to deliver better tech to help healthcare professionals deliver care. And uh, actually, from a, a team's perspective, that allowed us to grow and to rebuild that platform while also recovering the costs of that investment in doing so. So we have grown the revenue, we've grown our new platform, and we've replatformed onto a new technology while we're really naff analogy is that the plane is in flight, we've rebuilt the wings. So that's what we've been doing for the last two years, really. Got it. And are those 200 GPs, I'm sure there's a lot more than 200 GPs in the UK, but... Yes, there are. What share of what's out there does that tend to cover? Well, at our peak, in terms of the volume of vaccinations that we were doing, we peaked at 10% in a day. We're probably more like 2 to 5% at that point. And now, obviously, the next wave of sort of COVID vaccinations has tailed off somewhat. And we need to bring our next product to market to keep growing, which is very exciting. And we're going to be doing very shortly. But yes, yeah, so 10% was our top day. And that was obviously a good day as a challenger to the market. We were very proud. We were doing about six, seven thousand jabs an hour, which is, again, for a software business from a zero start, pretty good going on an hourly basis. One of the things I'm most proud of and keeps me going on this mission is knowing that it works well. 
at scale. You know, that's something that as a tech leader, you never know. But until you go real scale, it does show that the technology was built well and can scale. And that's something I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This may be a really unfair question, but if you could provide a kind of non-technical explanation of what the difference is in the underlying technology from the way it used to be, this new technology you've adopted, is there an easy way to describe that? The new flip to the technology is we're supported uh, on uh, Amazon Web Services. So, you know, you pick a cloud provider and it's available at any time on any device. It's uh, secure through the, the browser. So it's not a local install. Your upgrades are automatic. You don't even notice that they're happening. You can also be much more flexible about how you deliver add-on features or you can be saying, right, give it a try for you know 30 days. And if you don't like it, fine, we won't charge you for it being much more flexible and agile in that way, while also improving, sort of taking away from the end customer the hassle of maintaining the downloads and potentially even the databases and things like that, which come with the security that you have to have and the uptime availability. And we're basically saying, look, that comes as standard. That's within the service, as you would expect if you were buying something as a consumer through your smartphone. It should be that simple. And that's really what the new technology is enabling us to do. The old software wasn't built like that. And some of it, you know, you have to um, rewrite, frankly, and some of it you have to start again. And that's really where we've been on this journey. And can you share anything about what the next product's going to be? Or is that still kind of secret and confidential? No, I'm happy to. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> it's not confidential. It's very much aligned to our purpose, to our mission. Mm -hmm. It's completely on point with where we said we will be heading. And I think that consistency is very important. It's a medical record that's a um, platform that's essentially very agile and flexible. So if someone came to us and said, I want it to have these sorts of data fields, I want to be collecting it in this way, I want to ask these questions in this way, and I want to make sure that I can ask my staff to comply to this particular protocol because I want a consistency of how I deliver care, we can put it into the format and, and you can be delivering it by tomorrow. You know, obviously we're trying to get that down from tomorrow to today to now, but we'll work on that. It's trying to offer that flexibility and agility to healthcare organisations, both in the NHS and in the private sector. Our sort of majority focus is the NHS right now because the challenges are acute. And if they really need our help, you know, they want to spin up a new clinic or do something different to innovate at the healthcare service level, then we'd like to be the software that is supporting that innovation. If they want to do something different, come and use our software to help deliver it safely, reliably, securely, because that's obviously the foundation of a medical record. Well, very, very exciting. Um, as you've been on this journey, what surprised you most, you know, as you've sort of been taking this purposeful strategy forward? What's been surprising? a couple of things. One of the things I've learned about myself, but also things I've learned about people. Um, so let's start with the things I've learned about people. Most people respond to having a challenge when they know that the challenge is a worthy challenge. It's worth doing. And I think that's galvanized our team throughout a lot of different changes. And, you know, things haven't always gone the way we'd like them to. But to have resilience in the team, the galvanizing behind a problem that's worth solving, something that's worth doing, I think has been a really great motivator for uh, doing things which perhaps are hard and you'd rather not have to do, but you need to because that's where we're going. 
I knew that I've done some work on motivation, including some academic research into motivation and motivation for change. And yet seeing that in a sort of crisis moment, which I think, you know, if I was to label 2020 as for many companies, a crisis moment. And for us, particularly going through a change of ownership, change of purpose, change of brand, everything else we were doing at the same time. If you have a purpose that's worthy and you can articulate, then people will come with you and they'll come further than you maybe you think they will. And I'm very proud of that. So that was the crisis. We're out of the crisis now and and we're very much focused on our mission. And for recruiting new staff and retaining staff, it's really important to think, why are we doing this? We get together every six months in person. We bring people together and we have two and a half days of really just connecting. The last time we did this, we got three of our clinicians. So we we have clinicians on staff, so GPs on staff to help inform why we're doing what we're doing, obviously and ask them to talk about their working life outside of EVA. So, you know, their working life as GPs. And I mean, I see that when I talk to our customers, everyone in our company sees that every day. Maybe they've seen it from a patient perspective and everyone has a story. But to hear it from a clinician's perspective, being really open and honest and vulnerable about what it is to be a, a NHS GP right now, it just really tapped into that uh, feeling within you that, that you, you you can see this is a problem that needs fixing. These are good people who are very intelligent, who've dedicated years of their life to training, who are selfless in many ways to supporting their patients, and they're not getting enough support in return from the whole ecosystem. And I think really tapping into that is important to give our staff the reason why. Why do we do this? Um, we're doing something meaningful, and I think that takes us a long way. And I think that's really valuable to us as a business and as a culture within our company. So that's what I've learned about about people. I mean, they step up to the plate. Personally, I think it really underpinned for me how important that personal motivator is for me to keep going. I had some, you know, dark days when you're like, is this going to work? Are we going to be able to do this? And knowing that it was a a worthy problem to solve kept us going. Um, kept me going personally um, and trying to be a better leader, trying to create an environment for the team, particularly remotely, where they were exposed to some of the challenges so that we didn't feel like we were keeping them in the dark, but also creating that psychological safety aspect of saying, well, are we going to be able to take it to market and focus on what you know the tech needs to be for five years time versus, okay, but we actually need to be in market right now. We need to be telling people what we're doing and we need to start to generate revenue on the new platform. You know, our investors are looking at that. Our, you know, other investors potentially that we want to bring in are looking at that and we need to show that progress and very much that balance. How are you helping your team to deliver on that? And how are you helping customers, prospective customers, regulators, you know, the NHS central bodies, as well as our investors and prospective investors? And that's quite an interesting juggling act which I think all comes back to and why you're doing what you're doing and making sure that that's still at the heart of everything you do every day. Yeah. What for you was the most difficult bit? I think the motivating people. So as I said, there's a a very core motivating factor with having a clear purpose, a why, and even being able to to go and talk to anyone in your life. You know, if you know anyone who's a GP or or a clinician, a doctor and a a nurse, you you can go and ask why and they're all you can align to that. But also there's a sense of this is a longer term journey. It's not a crisis of three to four months. We have to be resilient over many years. And two and a half years into this journey, I look back on where I was as a leader, you know, 18 months ago, I needed to feel then a little bit more that I moderated my energy to keep going for a longer period than I thought I would have to. 
you know, the turn up and try and be the best leader you can be, despite the fact that, you know, it's delayed by another two months or, you know, not quite getting the sales traction that you want. You've got to to have that resilience. It's, it really is deep resilience. And I used to know that. I talked about it. But until you've lived it, I think it's a challenge. And I've never had to dig so deep in terms of personal resilience than I have as a as running a small business and running a small business through a pandemic, through a major change program. You know, that's definitely something that I found challenging in myself. But I'm glad that I've had the opportunity really to try and to experience that and to live through it. I think I am a better human and hopefully a better leader because of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What advice might you give to other business leaders who are grappling with questions around their own organization's purpose and how to connect it to their strategy? I think I've been very lucky in that connection. It sort of was an inherited connection that I really bought into from the parent company, the new owners. So in some ways, I've been very lucky. In other ways, I think, you know, you do need to explore and keep it open. You know, so if you've got a personal mission, purpose, fantastic, try and channel that. If something doesn't feel like it's really fitting, then you've got to ask yourself, is this the right thing for me to do right now? If it is, then obviously you can take and shape that into a strategy and in strategy into your sort of tactics, as it were. So I'd say, you know, be honest with yourself. If it fits with what your personal mission is, fantastic. If you don't have a personal mission and and you're happy with this one, fantastic. If it doesn't, either think, can you shape it? And if you can't shape it, why are you doing it? So really align there. I think surround yourself with people who are similarly minded. I'm very lucky that my board see that as well. It's not just about a pure profit, you know, maximization target. It is about solving this problem that other people don't appear to be solving or we feel we can solve in a better way. So surround yourself, whether that's advisors, whether that's informal mentors. I have a whole network that I rely on in different ways and really support me in the why. So I think surrounding yourself with people who are similarly motivated is is just really energizing. And then I think be flexible. So, you know, I came into this business with one investment hypothesis, but it's not what we've done (laughs) at all. We have pivoted twice. And I think having something that allows you to have a core, but allows you to be flexible with it is really important. And I think just make sure you've given yourself that optionality to be able to take on opportunities as they come and to react to the market and to be present, really, to be agile while staying true to your core. What haven't I asked you about that you wish I had? You did ask me sort of why you've got incumbents, you've got competitors, what's your relationship to them? And I think in some ways, it's not about competition. It's, it's helpful to have an opponent that you can um, measure yourself against. And it, it's, it's helpful to have a comparison, have something closer that you can use as a motivator. But actually, when you are smaller, you know, we're talking the two large incumbents in our space are 150 to 200 million revenue a year it's actually a bit demoralizing to connect to those competitors. And what you have to say is, but what's our unique special uh, value that we're bringing to the market? Why would you not just go and work for them? You know, we are trying to improve people's lives. I mean, it's, it's really as core as that. And I think in terms of trying to transition from what is effectively local monopolies to something that's much more of a healthy marketplace will take many years. And it will take a lot of courage from NHS leadership, I'm thinking this in the NHS space rather than the private care space at the moment, but for NHS leadership to see that they need to be doing something slightly different with how they engage startups, engage an ecosystem, to try and get a thriving ecosystem of companies of all sizes, 
not just the very large, but, you know, the small, the energetic, the innovative, the ones who are restarted um, like us. If you want to try and bring forward, I think, problem solving and to help support the NHS in a way that technology is capable of doing but isn't quite there yet, then actually rethinking the dynamic of competition and rethinking about how an ecosystem works together would actually, I think, deliver value to them as the NHS and to us as taxpayers, to patients and to the clinicians who are working hard every day in a really difficult, tough environment. And really, they need more support. And hopefully that will be coming. Mm-hmm. That that sort of ecosystem evolutionary model that you're describing, that certainly resonates with me. I'm sure you're aware perhaps even more aware than I am of the variety of failed efforts over the last couple of decades to do something across the whole NHS all at once about patient records. I don't think that's ever going to work. <laughs> I think your model of innovation and and sort of things fitting together is much more likely to get us there in the long run. Yeah, I, I think given NHS and NHS bodies and, and private healthcare suppliers as well, there's a lot of private healthcare suppliers supply into the NHS as well as obviously private patients. Um, it's complex, it's fuzzy, it's challenging, it's beyond the scope of any one human brain. And to, to try and reduce it down to a single thing is oversimplifying. So let's embrace the patchworkness of the market, embrace and and make it a level playing field, embrace change rather than, you know, just be wedded to what we had in the past. So I think in terms of the excitement I have for this mission, I still am excited today as I was when I started. Um, and I feel that this is for all of us in the team at EVA. This is a worthy challenge to take on as a mission for our working lives. And I'm really proud of that. I think there's some way to go for us to help others to see it like that. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm pleased to be on the journey and I hope I can amplify that, that voice um, that says, you know what, uh, there is hope um, for better tech. Uh, and definitely there are many, many companies, including ours, who are on that journey to deliver it to our NHS and beyond. That's probably just a fantastic note to end on, Maddie. Thank you really so much. I'm inspired by not only the journey you've been on so far, but sort of the vision you've got for what that could be in the future. Thank you. And thank you for your um, opportunity to share that with others. I've learned a lot from your podcast and other podcasts about how to be a better leader. And I appreciate the opportunity to try in a small way to give back on that too. That's great. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.